Hear the word of God from a selection of passages about Jesus, the one who came to bring us ultimate peace. You can follow along on the screen or in your own Bible. Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, heard and seen, as it had been told them. Isaiah 9, 6-7 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah 26, 12. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that, was, that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Micah 5, 5. And he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Eric Weiner, and I'm one of the pastors here at Waypoint. And it's my privilege this morning to continue in our Advent series, The Promise of Jesus' Coming, as we consider the peace he brings. One time, when I was a senior in college, I was waiting with one of my friends to, to catch a bus back to Carborough from campus. Now, there's probably a handful of you who know the spot. Right there on, on South Columbia Street, near the Ackland Art Museum, And across the street from Frat Court, there's a bus stop. And behind the bus stop is is a brick wall that my friend and I were sitting on while we waited for the bus to come. Now we're both kind of gazing off into the distance as we're talking to each other. And in mid-conversation, I look over at my friend and I can tell that, that something else has caught his attention. He's not paying attention to what I'm saying anymore. So so I asked him. What are you looking at? He says, 
as he's looking at the bus stop, there, there's something going on at the bus stop. So I start to turn over to the bus stop and say, like what? My friend says, it, it looks like that woman just took down that, that other woman's pants. Now, I, I don't even have a category for what that can mean, okay? So I say, what, what, why would she do that? Right? That's what you, why would she do that? And my friend, he's, he's intently looking, trying to diagnose the situation. He, he says, I think she may be giving birth. I said, no. <laughs> There's no way, right? At a bus stop? I mean, wouldn't you know if you're going into labor before that? Neither of us knew. <laughs> Minutes later, an ambulance stops in front of the bus stop. People are, are crowding the area. They're kind of, kind of blocking our view. But from what we can tell, someone is, is, is helped from the bench at the stop and rushed into the ambulance. And then it drives off. Moments later, our bus comes. And as we walk over to get on, we, we see an opened plastic packaging with the words cord clamp on it, right there on the ground. Now, in my ignorance, I'm still not tracking. I don't know what that means. <laughs> my, my friend says, see? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, and so then the student who delivered the baby is sitting on our bus telling her friend what just happened. They're having this exchange. And, and as we're overhearing her conversation, I can't help but think, did that, did that really just happen? In fact, I, I thought you might ask me that, Eric. You, you made this up, didn't you? So I Googled it, and you can actually find the headline, <laughs> UNC student helps deliver baby at Chapel Hill bus stop, November 8, 2012. When, when, we, went, when we went to home that day, I, I, told, I told all of my friends, and they're like, no, that's, you're making that up. So I had to look, I, had to, I was like, surely this will be in, in the newspaper the next day. Sure enough, UNC student delivers baby at bus stop. Now the reason why I share that story with you is because it's against the norm, right? I mean, birth, births aren't usually a public event. I was perplexed to even be in the vicinity of this happening. I wonder if the shepherds felt like that with Jesus. But never did I ponder what the implications of that child's life might have on mine. I mean, usually it's, it's the parents who ask these, they have all these questions circulating in their mind, like, who will this child be? What, what will this child's name be? What will they be like? Did this really just happen? And as we come back to the story of Jesus' birth, the implications are impossible for us to ignore. The claim on Jesus is that he is Christ the Lord, the eternal God in the flesh, born for us. And if his name is salvation, Jesus means he saves, and his plan is rescue, according to the prophets of old, then there's much that can be said about peace here. And whether you have received him or not, Jesus' birth warrants your attention.
So what I would like to do this morning is take a closer look at the exchange between the angels and the shepherds as we consider what it means that God has brought us peace this Advent season. And I have three observations that I want us to consider. And the first is this, Jesus' birth declares the end of the hostility between God and us. Jesus' birth declares the end of the hostility between God and us. The Christmas truce of 1914 may be one of the most surprising examples of human dignity in the face of war in modern history. In the midst of World War I, on Christmas Day 1914, a series of widespread, unofficial ceasefires took place on the Western Front. As the story goes, German troops could be heard singing Christmas carols in their bunkers, Christmas lights lit, leaving the opposing British and French armies in a state of confusion. A private from one of the British regiments describes it this way. He says, he said, something in the direction of, of the German lines caused us to rub our eyes and look again. Just above their parapet, we could see what looked like small colored lights. We were very suspicious and we were, were discussing this strange move of the enemy when something even stranger happened. The Germans were actually singing. And what followed were soldiers from opposing nations in wartime meeting on the battlefield to play soccer, to sing songs, swap stories. Some could rightly point to these events as one of the most inspirational Christmas stories in the 20th century. And as wild of a story as it makes out to be, the war did not end that day. The peace did not last. But what I really want us to focus on is the strangeness of the singing. I mean, can you imagine being a soldier in the French or British armies in that moment? You've watched fellow brothers in arms die on the battlefield. Maybe you've taken cover, afraid for your life at times. And now your greatest opposition, resting on the other side of what could be called a functional graveyard, is singing the words of peace and salvation from Silent Night. Now turn with me to Luke 2 and imagine what has just unfolded for these shepherds. In Luke 2:13, after this angelic messenger has delivered God's divine message about the arrival of the Savior born in a manger, Luke tells us that a multitude of the heavenly hosts appear to sing. Now to our modern ears, when we hear the word host, we're inclined to think hospitality, right? I mean, when we leave someone's home, we, we thank them for being such good hosts. Or maybe when we go to a, to a fancier restaurant, we, the, the first server we see is typically, typically called a host. But when Luke refers to the heavenly host, he's not talking about someone who entertains the house guests. He's talking about God's angelic army that expresses his military might. As it says in, in Isaiah 9, 6, as we've read multiple times this morning, for to us a child is born, to us a, sa a, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Luke 2, 9, when it says the angel appeared to the shepherds and the glory of the Lord shone around them, they had good reason to respond in fear. 
But the angel of the Lord gives them reassurance by saying, fear not. Meaning what, what will be grounds for fear in this situation is the very matter for which I've been sent to address. Those whom God opposes have reason to fear. Wayward sinners who've chosen our own way by our own means, oh for God. But those who have become the object of God's favor, they should fear not. So in verse 13, when it says that a multitude of the heavenly hosts appeared, this, this is not some scare tactic to suppress the shepherds under God's military might. Rather, it's confirmation of the peace God has declared. Where is God's highest glory to be found here? The angels tell us on earth among men. And who are the recipients of this peace? Those whom God is pleased to show his favor to. And what all of this means for us is that the war between God and us is over. We who are objects of God's punishment because of sin have become objects of God's unmerited goodwill. Meaning Jesus is not our enemy. He's our rescuer who desires to call us friend. That's what the birth of Jesus means for us. Where warring nations can make peace last for a day through song and play, God can make peace last for eternity by the pronouncement of his angels about the arrival of his son. So you ask, if, if God has ended the hostility, why does the relationship still feel cold? And I, I tell you, the, the coldness you feel isn't on God's end. He no longer feels cold toward you. but maybe it is on yours. Perhaps you feel cold toward God because you haven't yet surrendered to him and tapped into the joys of his, his eternal peace. But no longer can we accuse God of making a relationship with him unattainable to us. Jesus' arrival disproves that claim. So then we must acknowledge that the hostility can only be on our part if it's there at all. God's declaration to humanity is peace on earth through the promised child who will fulfill every promise of God. God has sent his Messiah. This is how important this is. Listen, if he fulfills this promise, God comes down as man. If he fulfills this promise, then he will fulfill every promise. If you have yet to find rest in Christ, you're still in the ultimate war. But there is good news for you, friend. God has made peace with you if you'll just surrender. My advice to you is to wave the white flag. But why should we? I mean, yes, Jesus came, but, but how can I be sure that I can be right with God? Which brings us to observation number two. Jesus' birth is the guarantee of our salvation come. His birth guarantees our salvation come. Most often when considering the role of the shepherds in Luke's account, they are typically painted in a lowly light. I mean, maybe you've grown accustomed to hearing Advent sermons or Christmas sermons about the shepherds as those, those outcasts who stand at the margins of society, right? The ones who don't belong, and are, they're, they're a surprise inclusion to the whole narrative. And there's merit to this claim. I mean, Bible scholar Leon Morris tells us that the nature of the shepherd's calling kept them from observing the ceremonial law. So there's a ritual uncleanness associated with them. They are excluded from the temple. 
that's a big deal. But I think a better way to view the shepherds, or at least these shepherds, is not lowly and despised, though they are, but simple. The shepherds are simple. And I think the distinction is important because it changes your view from looking at them as people who are beneath you to people who are just like you. The one who takes the position of lowly and despised in all of this is Jesus. The message puts it this way in Isaiah 53.3. There is nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over. So Jesus is the one who takes the lowly position. And the shepherds, the, the simple ones, are invited to spread this good news about the peace of God in Jesus. Luke doesn't give us much here in terms of detail, but, but from what we can discern, these unnamed shepherds were devoted to their task. I mean, Luke 2.8 8 tells us that, Luke 2.8 says that, that they're, they're out in the field keep, keeping watch over their flock by night. They could have been asleep after a long day, but no. They're working the third shift, faithfully protecting the sheep and dutifully fulfilling their calling. Luke also tells us that they are located in the same region as Bethlehem, meaning they would have also been near the temple in Jerusalem. It's very likely that their responsibility would have been to care for a flock being prepared for temple sacrifice. So these men were familiar with the significance of a sacrificial lamb. In context, the temple represented the space where God and man could be together. And appointed men would make sacrifices to God to atone for or, or, or make right the sins of the people. Sacrifices were symbolic, reminding everyone that the wages of sin is death. But one day, one day, God would step into space and time to make all of this right once and for all. So we ask, how do we know? How do we know we can be right with God? Isaiah 26, 12 tells us, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. And what works has he done? Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. You see, the world knows that we need peace. That there is deep unrest we all experience. And the world is willing to sell us so many incomplete solutions for this, this lack of peace. I mean, they've caught on to the fact that there's a market for it. I mean, we, and, and we literally buy into all of it. I've, been, I've spent this, the, the past several weeks working on getting life insurance so that if I die, I, I, at some point in the next 30 years, I have the peace of mind to know that my family will be, they'll be okay, they'll have a sense of stability. Maybe they'll be emotional wrecks, right? But, but they can afford to be emotional wrecks. And, I, and I've had to answer all these questions about my health history over the past 10 years and if, if I plan to leave the country and all these other questions trying to assess how risky of a person I am. And it's, it's funny because I, I tell you, I'm, I'm not a risk taker. I mean, I don't, I don't go skydiving, I don't go bungee jumping, I don't do all these crazy things. But I also never go to the doctor. <laughs> which makes answering all these questions about the past 10 years really easy. No, 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 I don't know. No medical record. 
But then we, we buy into the security systems because it gives us peace of mind to know that our privacy is protected. Or maybe, maybe you buy the extra seat on the plane because you're, you're going on a long plane ride and, you, and, it's, and it gives you a peace of mind to know that you'll have the extra space. Or maybe you seek a good book or, or a great Netflix series to binge watch. But really the underlying motivation is to escape your overwhelming sense of restlessness. You're looking for peace, aren't you? And don't get me wrong, insurance is good. I've been trying to get it. Safety is good. Rest is good. Get some rest. I love a good TV show. But the anxiety we all feel is real. And the lack of peace we all experience deep in our souls is real. And all the counterfeit solutions the world offers to bring us peace are deficient. They are. The angel in Luke 2.11 tells the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Jesus, our Savior. The one who has come to declare peace secures it by stepping into our peace and taking the lowly position of despised and overlooked. He doesn't hide from the messiness. He steps right into it. And not only does he step into it, he comes to the simple and weak and grants them the purpose of being united again with God. The shepherds that day arrived in Bethlehem, looked in the manger, and saw the face of God without fear. One day, Jesus is coming back, and we will look on the face of God again without veil and know that we have become who God always intended for us to be. Our bodies whole, our hearts full of the joy and wonder that awaits us for eternity. Observation number three. Jesus' birth invites us into his peace. The peace that Jesus offers us doesn't just result in a restored vertical relationship between us and God, but also restored horizontal relationships between us and other people. Jesus is breaking down the wall of hostility between us and others. And the way he does this is by giving us a shared identity under a new banner as one people, a family. In my office, I have a little Nerf gun. And when one of our staff members brings his son in, I, I like to pull out the Nerf gun and we play. We run around. Sometimes dodgeballs get pulled out. And there's some fun back and forth. But then after a while, we, we decide to join forces. So I get offered a pinky promise, and the object of our efforts is jointly turned to the son's dad. He didn't, he, we actually did this this week. He didn't know that he was helping me write my sermon. And I, I get it. That's, that's kind of a silly example, but, but isn't it funny? Isn't it funny in kids' games how quickly you can go from being adversaries to allies? How the sacred pact of a pinky promise can establish so much trust and togetherness. Now consider the promise God offers us in the birth of Jesus. In Luke 2, 16 through 20, the shepherds take up the angel's offer by going to find the manger that holds the Savior of the world. And when they arrive and see the promised sign, their belief is strengthened, and they become the ones declaring God's message to others. God's glory our peace. 
And then in verse 20, it says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. You see, the shepherds had become participants in the advancement of God's rule and reign on earth by joining in and singing the tune of the angels and by spreading this good news of great joy to others. And our joint effort with God to spread his peace also results in our peace with others, with each other. This is what it means to see God's kingdom of peace fill the earth. Wherever Jesus is rightly worshipped as king, where he's received as Lord, there we will find people who have received God's peace. That's what Isaiah tells us when he says in, in chapter 9, verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We show that God's message of peace on earth is true by the way we relate to one another in love and service. This peace cannot be reduced to the notion that we no longer treat each other poorly. Can you imagine a strong marriage or friendship like that? But it must also mean that we aim to do the best for one another as is pleasing to the Lord. And this can only happen when we choose to walk in the light and seek reconciliation with each other in genuine forgiveness. We can't downplay one another's sins. And we also can't ignore the terrible ways we've treated one another. At its core, true forgiveness is costly and unfair. But the weights have been balanced in Jesus. Some of us still experience animosity with significant people in our lives. And we can't figure out why we keep cycling through the same patterns. Why does this keep happening? Why, why the relationships have always remained fragile and why they never grow strong? Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Maybe you've never truly owned up to the way you have wronged another. Never a contrite heart. The birth of Jesus, then, is a reminder that taking a position of lowliness and humility is a way of walking in likeness to the King. Or maybe you said in word that you forgive, but you've never truly forgiven in your heart. So you keep a record of wrongs, and you're ready to bring it up again as fuel for the fire anytime it's necessary. But that's not how Jesus deals with you. He doesn't hold your wrongdoings over your head, leaving you to wonder if you're really forgiven. To you, then, I say, the birth of Jesus is a reminder that the brokenness of the world is great, great enough to need a Savior. But we are not without a Savior willing to step into this mess. And even in these circumstances, He can work miracles. Praise God for that. Seek it. So then, how, how can we enjoy the peace, of, the peace that God offers us this Advent season? How can we enjoy this peace? Three applications for us from these observations. First, lay down your defenses and surrender to the Lord. Lay down your defenses and surrender to the Lord. God has ended the hostility. You should end yours. Isn't it our nature to keep a record of rights and wrongs with each other? Don't we do this? I mean, if you've, ever, if you've ever watched a basketball game, 
you know there, there are a handful of plays throughout a game where the ball is tied up and both teams have a right to the possession. The college game solution to this is to have a, a possession error that alternates every time a tie-up like this happens. Again, when, when I was in college, I used to think that that would be the perfect way to resolve conflict. You, you, you just buy a possession arrow, and that way you don't have to worry about scorekeeping anymore. You just know, oh, it's my turn. Okay, you're right this time. <laughs> that is a terrible idea. But we continue to do this proverbial scorekeeping with each other, and, and we think we can do this with God. Have you ever been on the losing side of an argument and realized it midway through the conversation? What do you do in those moments? My tendency is to double down. I know I'm wrong, but I'm not going to back down. I'm never going to let, I'm never going to let her know that, right? It's usually, usually Sarah, who, who, my wife, who gets, she, she knows it, but, but you don't have to do that with God anymore because he puts the blow of fear and shame on himself and instead you receive his favor and love. Be amazed by his humility and enjoy this surrender. Second, drop the false securities and run to the only one who can give you true peace. At the end of the Christmas special, A Charlie Brown Christmas, Charlie Brown, in in typical hopeless fashion, turns to his friend Linus and asks him, what's the meaning of Christmas? And Linus who can't go anywhere without his security blanket by his side, goes on center stage to tell Charlie Brown and the rest of the watching audience for their Christmas pageant the true meaning of Christmas. He quotes from Luke 2, 8 through 14, part of the same passage that we we had read this morning. And when he gets to the line where the angel tells the shepherds to fear not, Linus drops his security blanket. The moment is subtle. Even for a cartoon, it's subtle, but but the message is loud and clear. What false securities are you holding on to? What apart from Jesus do you look to and say, without this, I'm restless. This is my security. The birth of Jesus teaches us that we don't have to cling to all the false securities the world has to offer, but that we can cling to Jesus and his promises, even in the face of adversity. And we cling to Jesus when we know his word. Reading the Bible is about loving and becoming. It's about loving God and becoming holy as he is holy. There are people in this world who have devoted their lives to acquiring information about God in the Bible who are incredibly cold toward him and his word. But we seek his word to revel in his promises as we we become people of peace. Drop the false securities. Run to the one where true peace is found. Third, courageously walk in the light with one another, having received God's peace. Courageously walk in the light together. It's courageous to own up to your wrongdoings. It's courageous to accept full responsibility for the way that you have hurt others with a genuine and contrite heart. God can produce that heart in you as you look to what he has already done in Christ for you. For you. Jesus promises us that if we pursue the light and trust him, that he will not put us to shame. 
Likewise, it's courageous to take seriously the sins of another, but to do so because, because you love them. Meaning, you're not going to run from the mess of human relationships because you're so devoted to Jesus and you know he would never do that to you. The Lord Jesus has broken down the walls of hostility between us. And he is producing this very attitude in us as we move toward others in mutual love under the banner of Christ and the peace that he upholds. This peace is for you this morning. Will you receive this child? Let us pray.